I saw this this morning on TV, and I just I thought, well, I just preached on parenting as we've been talking about having the good life now, and, and it just the the irony of what was presented about we talked about the two tools that God has given to parents. We talked about exhorting and the need to reprove and correct and verbally explain to our children what needs to be done. But that God also talks about the rod. He says rod and reprove for the two tools to be able to correct children. I just wanted to ask this question. Uh, has violence in our society, particularly uh, specifically with our children, increased or decreased since 1968? I think all of go, it's way up. I mean, we, we, every year it seems like we have school shootings. We have problems with children. There's a tremendous problem uh, anymore in the public school system in dealing with uh, children and how they treat other children that is, has resorted to violence more often than not, especially in the last decade. I don't to think about, they made this, shoved this statistic. They said 90% of all Americans, this is in 1968, believed that, and they used these words, that a child needed a good, hard spanking. That was the words they used. This is on today's show this morning on NBC. Back in 1968, 90% of Americans agreed with that statement, that a child needed a good, hard spanking. Today, it is down to 55%. What's interesting is then they went on and talked about how critics say that spanking only promotes violence in our children. And I'm just happy to show you that that's ironic because we have less spanking and greater violence taking place amongst our children. Who's right, the critics or God? And I just found that very interesting that here's the critics saying, oh no, spanking promotes violence, really? Well, since Americans have decreased their use of corporal punishment on their children... We have more problems in the school system. You connect the dots. God said, use the rod and use reproof. And that's exactly what we need to remember. Use the rod and use the reproof to save them. That's the reason why. We're not trying to be wrathful and harsh or doing it out of anger, but we're trying to teach them the way that they need to go. All right. I, I just I saw that and I thought, oh, I can't, I got to share that with you because... I mean, it seems so obvious, and yet our society can't put the two together. You know, decrease in spanking, increase in violence. Hmm, wonder what changed. I, just, I don't know. Our society. Last week we talked about the, the, the women and wives. I know all you women and wives came back and brought your men today, because we, we got to have balance, right? <laughs> We're talking about having the good life now. And God has told us what is required for men and for women and their responsibilities and their decisions and their actions to be pleasing to God and also to avoid a lot of the difficulties and the trials that come along in life by making good decisions. As a recap, if you forgot, we talked about the characteristics of an excellent woman that Solomon describes. We did not go to Proverbs 31, but rather we see Solomon describing to his son all of these characteristics. It is important to keep in mind that by teaching his son this, he was trying to tell his son to look for these characteristics, that these are the things you should seek out. And not only a directive to women to realize that the inner beauty is what matters most, but men, the inner beauty is what matters most. <laughs> That's why Solomon's telling his son this as well. And so very important that he, he brings this out and describes it. Now we come to the wise man, how to be a wise husband. There are some general admonitions that are given that we'll begin with first, and then we'll get to some of the specific ones. The first one that we can see here is Proverbs chapter 12 and in verse 8. A man will be commended according to his wisdom, but he who is of a perverse heart will be despised. 
And I found this a very interesting proverb. It's very general, just to point out as a reminder to us men that the decisions that we make will determine the reputation that we have. Uh, How we treat people and whether we make wise choices or foolish choices, whether we decide that uh, we'll make uh, this decision or that decision, and uh, the, the wisdom behind that is going to determine how we are perceived amongst our friends and in society, things like that. And that's what he says, you'll be commended if you make decisions according to wisdom. Wise decisions, then people are going to commend you for that. And it's not the other way around. A perverse heart, however, is going to be despised. Every time we've, we've done these proverbs, we've seen a very interesting proverb. Last week we got to enjoy better to dwell on the corner of the rooftop than be with a contentious woman. Here's a nice one for, for the men. Like a bird that wanders from her nest, so is a man who wanders from his home. And this is interesting because it's very broad in its application. And exactly what Solomon is trying to get to across to his son, I think it has multifaceted. There are a lot of arenas that I think that this could apply, but I want to just settle on two that I think are, are most notable. First, I think there are sexual implications of what Solomon is teaching his son. Uh, you, you don't go wandering away from the home. You don't go wandering away from the relationship that you have. And, and so often in our society, we have been taught, especially through our movies, that the grass is greener on the other side. You, you would find happiness if you only had another woman. Since we're talking to the men today, we'll, we'll keep it on those terms. Uh, that, that you would find your, your great joy there. In fact, that's what we always have our, our running joke of the midlife crisis now, right? That, you know, you... You, you, you lose the 49-year-old wife of all your years, you go get the 21-year-old blonde and you ride around in a cherry Corvette, you know, and now you're living life. And it's funny, but, you know, sometimes that actually crosses our minds. And, and I think Solomon is saying to his son, as he had done in, in previous Proverbs that we've looked at, that you enjoy the wife of your youth. You spend the time with her. That a wise man stays in the condition that he is in and does not go flittering about all over the place looking for something better, believing that it's always better on the other side. What's always interesting about those who follow through with that decision, that, oh, well, the grass is greener over there, I'd be happy in that relationship, is what happens. The grass is then greener again on the other side, and they go find another one. You know, that's what they typically show in the statistics, is that people who have been divorced and remarried, once you've done it once, typically that continues to keep happening. And you keep thinking, oh, well, now this one's no good, and so I'll go find somebody else. Which leads, in, I think, to the other practical application here, is that there are family implications, that... The wise man stays with the family. The wise man uh, is in charge of the home and is, will realize that he has a responsibility to the home and does not have the ability to, to say, well, you know, uh, I don't like the way things are in life anymore. You know, my teenagers are driving me crazy or I've got all these babies in the house and so I don't even know who my wife is anymore. And when you have kids, you're like, do I even know you anymore? <laughs> it's just, you know, kids are, are occupy the time. And you don't have the right to go wander off and go find something else or go do something else. You have a responsibility to the home. And it's very interesting how this is described. Like a bird who leaves the protection and safety and security of the nest and decides to just go wherever wherever seems best. That's the idea in the picture here. It says that's not wise. 
So is a, a, a fool who wanders away from the home. You're, you're foolish for, for, for looking outside of the safety and security and the happiness of the home that you have right now. And so we, we see an important principle here. Tied closely to that, another proverb. He who troubles his own house will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to, to the wise of heart, Proverbs 11.29. I think this is interesting because this brings some of the proverbs of last week into balance of this week. Last week we spent some time talking about how, how the woman and the wife sets the tone in the atmosphere of the home. That she really does set a, a, an amazing amount of, of construction about what will the home be like. And we talked about the proverb, the wise woman builds up the house while the foolish woman tears it down. And so here is that the, the woman can set the tone of the atmosphere of what the hospitality will be like. If it is a comfortable situation, a relaxing situation, a positive situation, or rather if it is negative. This also goes to show that, men, you can completely destroy that atmosphere <laughs> for all the work that can be done in setting the tone for, for the home. Notice that he who troubles his own house will inherit the wind. We can come home and completely disrupt all the work that has been put into making a nurturing, kind, warm atmosphere by being overbearing, harsh, terrible people. That's what he's describing here. Troubling your own house. You know what you're going to receive Inheriting the wind, which on the surface sounds like you get nothing, but scriptures often speak of when you get the wind, you're talking about the whirlwind. You're receiving trouble. You're receiving problems. It's not just that you will be empty-handed, how true that is. Trouble your house, you will probably lose your family. But worse than that, you will cause all sorts of strife, all sorts of problems. You're inheriting the whirlwind. So do not trouble the house. That's what it says. The fool will be, a, will be servant to the wise of heart. You don't make that bad decision. You will come out on the losing end. And so recognize that you have a stake in, as well as the, in the atmosphere of the home. And how you treat the family and the decisions that you make and your presence in the home has a very important impact upon what the family dynamic will be like. Do not be a troubler of the house. Think about it in your own minds. Typically, do you, are, do, would you say that you bring home trouble or are you somebody who brings home happiness and joy? Do you cause trouble? You, know, you come home from a hard day at work. It's been 12 hours on the job. Everybody's been hard on you. It's been a horrible day. And what is the disposition that you bring home? And all the work that we talked about of what the atmosphere of a woman can do in making the home be pleasurable and, and warm can be completely destroyed if we just blow through the door and just take it out on everybody else we come in contact with. We, we can't do that. Do not bring trouble into the home. Second, right along with it, the righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. I think all of us would say we want our children to have it better than what we have. Uh, as soon as you have children, this is probably one of the, the primary directives that comes across our mind is that we want things to be easier for our children. We want things to be better for them. We don't want them to experience the difficulties that we experience. We want them to enjoy the things of life and not suffer some of the things that we've had to suffer. And notice what it says here is that if we make good decisions, if we make righteous, wise decisions, then our children will be blessed after us. 
I would like for you to see that Solomon does not say, if you make a lot of money and bring home a big paycheck, your children will be blessed and everything will go well. That's not true. We think it's true. How many times? I've shared with you my friends who have told me that. And you probably have friends who have said these things. And you may have thought it yourself that, you know, if I only work harder now, then we will have more family time over here later. Solomon does not say that. Solomon says, make wise, righteous decisions now and your children will be blessed. There's no uh, dollar figure that is described here. If you have a lot of money, then your children will be blessed. And, you know, if they can have every toy that they want on, on, on every holiday and every birthday, then they, boy, they'll really be happy. Not so. Money is not in the equation. Spend time with your family. Make wise decisions. Live uprightly. Integrity described here. You make wise, righteous, good decisions. Your children will be blessed. And all of us want that. So that's a great responsibility upon us husbands and upon us men to make wise decisions because that will impact our children. And we don't often realize the dramatic impact the decisions we make in regards to the home life, in regards to work, the effect that will have on our children later on in life. So Solomon brings it out to his son and says, they'll be blessed if you make righteous decisions. Blessed is the man who always fears the Lord. That's that's what it really comes down to. is that Solomon is really trying to, to point this out. Make godly decisions and you'll be blessed. And may I circle, highlight, underline, and, and, and doodle on the word always? <laughs> blessed is the man who always fears the Lord. Every decision calculates the fear of God first. Every decision that you and I make, men, fear of God first. Family, job, home, away, whatever it is, finances, whatever it may be, the fear of God first. He who hardens his heart, may I say it this way? He who disregards the fear of God when making decisions falls into trouble. That's the idea. You disregard the spiritual uh, decision-making process that is involved in these things, you fall into trouble. And we have to recognize that. Remember, way on back when we first started all this, it's been a while, I had to pull up the CDs and the MP3s and remember, but we talked about the, the test of, is it good for me spiritually? Is it good for my family spiritually? Does it advance the kingdom of God? These need to be the primary filters when we are making decisions. Is it for me good for me spiritually? Is it good for my family spiritually? Does it advance the kingdom of God? That's what's being said right here. In the decisions that we make, always the fear of God must be first. If it is not, that decision is doomed for trouble and will cause problems with the family. And so you can visualize this now as Solomon, again, sitting down with his son, explaining these things to him, telling him there's going to be a lot of times in life when you're going to want to make decisions and not calculate what that means on spiritual terms. And so often we don't do that. We don't calculate in our decisions, what will this mean for me spiritually? What will this job mean for my family spiritually? What will this move mean for me spiritually and my family spiritually? What will this decision financially mean for my family and my decision spiritually? And so often the test is only about what will it mean for us financially, period. Don't do that. You fall into trouble. We have to keep in mind at all times, first thing that matters most in our lives 
is fearing God, right? Fear God. Jesus said that somewhere. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. All these things will be added to you. Yeah, it's not in the Bible. It should be, right? Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount repeatedly trying to tell us about priorities. Don't worry about the things of this world. Put your trust in God. Solomon's telling his son that blessed is the man who always fears the Lord. Some specific admonitions that I want to look at. I find it interesting that he doesn't spend an awful lot of time talking about the role of the husband, although I would submit to you that since the Proverbs are built upon a father talking to his son, in fact, all the Proverbs are about being a man and a husband. That's really what the whole book is about. It's really not directed to the women particularly at all. This is father to son. Here's all the things. So we could do 31 chapters and say this is about being a good husband and a good man. But he does say some specific things about being a husband. Proverbs 18.22. I think this is a very important proverb. The man who finds a wife finds a treasure. And he receives favor from the Lord. I think this is really, really important. A man is supposed to realize the value of the wife they have. You see how, how, how Solomon said that to his son? Your wife is a treasure. Just, you know, circle that and see that. That's how you are supposed to perceive the wife that you have. She is a treasure. Do we treat our wives as treasures? Do we place upon them that high value as that prized possession of sorts? Is That's the picture here of elevating them to that level and saying, this is, this is my treasure. And we know what that means, guys. I know we know what that means. We, you know, what do we do when we get the new car? That becomes the prized possession. You know, we park it far away and it gets, it gets waxed every, every weekend. You know, it's, it's the prized possession. I have things in the living room that the girls cannot touch. Prized possessions. You don't mess with those things. You don't get to touch that. That is mine. So Paige was grabbing, grabbing my golf ball the other day. It's the golf ball, the only hole-in-one that I've ever made in my life. It's the golf ball that I made last year. I got a hole-in-one. 160 yards, not bad. Huh? Hole-in-one. So I wrote on there. I never used that ball again. I wrote on there, the date on there and all that. She goes, can I play with this? <laughs> oh, no, dear. <laughs> Absolutely not. That's my treasure. <laughs> That's my prized possession. We understand what that means. Do you treat your wife that way? That's the picture of what Solomon is saying. Do you treat your wife that way? The prized treasure, that prized possession. That's exactly what Peter was teaching us. 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I want you to notice three things that he describes there to us. He says says here, husbands, he says, tell them what to do, make them do what they're supposed to do, and treat them as if they can't make decisions on their own, right? You're in charge. Understanding. Live with your wives' understanding. Some versions, according to knowledge. Understand them. Notice, showing them honor. Peter didn't say, men, you're supposed to get all the honor. You are king of the castle. Sit down on your throne and receive the honor. Actually, he said something quite startling, especially in those days. Show them the honor. 
They are the ones that are to be placed upon the pedestal. And he says that they are heirs with you. You're supposed to be the one honoring them. And that's the idea of the treasure here. And I think that's the picture here of what's going on as you treat them as something special, something that is very important. Quite a few years back, my dad got a baseball signed by Tony Gwynn, greatest San Diego Padre baseball player of all time, one of the greatest hitters, Hall of Fame. He got it signed. The first thing I told him when he got that signed is I said, when you die, that's mine. And I said, that, and he's not, that ball's not going to Scott or Robert Ross. I said, that is my ball. Hey, how, do you, how do you think we treat that ball? Yeah, when I go up there to Arkansas, we, you know, you think we go outside and throw that ball around, you know, yeah, you know, plus play catch, you know, let's go get the Tony Gwynn ball and throw it around. It's in a plastic case, sits on the bookshelf, high up, nobody's going to touch it, we all look at it, Tony Gwynn baseball, very nice. That's the picture, showing honor, understanding what you have, seeing you have a prized possession, a treasure, treat it respectfully responsibly, with care and love. That is the picture here. And so often that's not what we do, but that's exactly what Solomon is telling his son as a treasure. You, you, you understand what you have in your hands. And you don't treat it as common. You don't treat it roughly in an everyday kind of way. You place it high up in respect and honor. You understand what is valuable. And you treat her that way. And so that is the picture. And friends... If we're not doing that, notice what he tells us. We're out of favor with God if we're not doing that. I mean, this is not a suggestion. I'd like this to be a suggestion. You know, it's okay if we get kind of rough and we we lose our top and, and, and blow steam at our wives. Notice what he says there. If we do that, we're out of favor with God. He's not listening to us anymore. And it may be that God has not listened to our prayers in a long time. Not treating our wives properly. Show them honor. Show them respect. Understanding what as heirs of life. I think that is so important to see. God is very serious about this command. And we have a large responsibility placed upon our shoulders to be the husbands that God has called us to be. Otherwise, our relationship with God is damaged. I would like for us to also look at in the specific admonition, humility. And I find it interesting that Solomon spends time talking to his son about the need for humility. Uh, perhaps he's pointing out that we have a problem with that. I don't know if he's uh, indoctrinating the whole male race or not, but he spends quite a few Proverbs talking about that. Proverbs 25, verses 6 and 7. Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence and do not claim a place among great men. It is better for him to say to you, come up here than for him to humiliate you before a nobleman. It's interesting about do not exalt yourself. Don't, don't put yourself in a position where you're so concerned about making sure everybody knows who you are or what you've done. Uh, notice this again. It is not good to eat too much honey, nor is it honorable to seek one's own honor. <laughs> and I think that's an interesting way to say that, is it sounds like such a great thing. Doesn't it sound like you know eating lots of honey? That sounds great until you do it. And it doesn't work out very well. And you and I probably know people that you don't want to be around because they've always got something to say about how what a great person they are. And it really, after a while, starts grating on you like, okay, already, you know what? 
You know, I know you need all those pats on the back. And that's what Solomon's saying. Don't do that. You lose honor by trying to gain honor. It's a very unusual thing. You, you, you try to bring glory to yourself, you only lose it. And that's what he's trying to say. Let another praise you. And not your own mouth. Someone else. And not your own lips. Proverbs 27, verse 2. It shouldn't come out of our own lips. Somebody wants to appreciate you, let them appreciate you. And think about it logically. What value is it if you have to ask for it? You aren't getting what you think you want anyway. You want honor and glory and respect. If you have to ask for it, you're not really finding it. That's like asking somebody to love them. Will you please love me? I I don't want to have to ask for it. I want you to do it because that's what you feel and that's what you want and that's the decision you want to make toward me. That's the same thing here. I don't want to have to ask you for your respect and for your honor about who I am. I want it to come naturally based upon the decisions that I make and my character and my integrity. If I have to ask for it, then I'm obviously low in character and integrity because it should come naturally if I'm making wise, godly decisions. A man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. The New Testament reverberates these passages repeatedly about not exalting ourselves but to make ourselves abased and to lower ourselves. And here again, a man's pride only brings you low. Think highly of yourself, you're going to find trouble. You're going to find problems. But a man of lowly spirit, he will gain the honor. Be humble. Be meek. Don't think about yourself first. You will find the respect and honor of others. I like this one. This is kind of an odd one. Gray hair is a crown of glory. I wish it said losing hair is a crown of glory. It's not really working out for me. Uh, Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. You want respect? You want honor? Righteous living. Good, godly decisions. We saw that before. Blessed is the man who always fears the Lord. You want to be respected. You want to have spiritual respect amongst other Christians. You want to be a leader in the congregation, become a deacon, become an elder. Here it is, righteous life, righteous living. That will gain it. I think it's also tied closely to that. Without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Humility also requires that we seek out the counsel and the help of other people. That's especially true when we are younger. And we're not, we think we can make really good decisions. We think we've got life wrapped around the finger and that, that older people just have no clue about, the, about this, this kind of society that we live in. I love that with my brother Scott. I mean, he just, like I'm that much older than him. And he just thinks, you know, I just don't even know what's going on. It's just a whole new world order these days. Go Scott. And young people need to realize that's, that's not true, to, to listen to the counsel of other people. And so younger people, listen to the counsel of your parents. Listen to the things that they have to say. It's really important. And adults, we need to listen to the counsel of our brethren, those who have experience and those who have shown themselves through their righteous living to have integrity and character, to listen to their wisdom. Listen to the things that they have to say. Here it is stated another way. Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And so we need to be able to listen to the input of other people. And sometimes that's difficult, I guess, as men. We have difficulty with humility sometimes. And 
It is a call to humility to listen to other people. Might I go ahead and apply this to husbands as well? You know, you, you, you married that woman because of the inner beauty, that you respect them because of their intelligence and their knowledge and their capabilities. Why not listen to their input? Why not have the humility that they might have a perspective that I may not have and they have something to say and to contribute to the relationship? That's why you married them, right? <laughs> and yet so often we ignore their input and don't listen to the things that they have to say. And so there again goes to uh, living with them in an understanding way. Listen, listen. And I find it so interesting as we, as we talk about the, these admonitions that, that remember what God has, has told us in, in all of these characteristics is, is we're supposed to be Christ-like in every relationship. And that's the idea with the humility is remembering how Christ lived. Also Solomon to his son, the need for honesty. He talks a lot about that in the Proverbs as well. There's going to be the temptation. Certainly I think in the, in the workplaces where it's strongest to not act in an honorable way, to cut the corners, to not always be moral, to not always be above board and virtuous, but to do things that you know may not be overtly and obviously wrong and, and immoral, but certainly fuzz into the gray areas of life. And, and it's interesting that Solomon pulls his son aside and says, you, you live your life above all else as a, as a moral and righteous person. The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. And of course, that means nothing to us in our society today, but that was how you, you figured out the, the worth of money at that time as you put those things on the scale. And you could tweak the scales a little bit so that you can make a little dishonest gain there and recognize that God just simply says that's an abomination. The cutting of the corners, the cheating of another person, even if it seems so minor, God does not accept this is a, a kind of a, a humorous one. The buyer says, it's no good, it's no good. Then he goes and boasts about his purchase. That's a good one, I think. So then I say, oh, this is terrible, this, 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 is, this is junk. And then turn around and say, oh, I, I pulled the wool over his eyes. I, I swindled him real good. And, and our society really is built upon that, that there's glory in that anymore. I mean, uh, a lot of that on TV is about how you can pull the wool over somebody else's eyes and, and really exalt yourself and do really well. And quite honestly, especially in the corporate world, if you'd like to advance, boy, you've really got to do that. You're going to have to really shove other people out of the way and promote yourself to get to the top. And realize here God is saying absolutely not. In fact, better a poor man who walks, who, whose walk is blameless than a rich man whose ways are perverse. We need to memo that across the country. Better to be poor and righteous and blameless. Better to be poor and make good, godly decisions repeatedly than it is to be rich and have perverse ways. And friends, let's, let's apply that right to the home. Better to be poor and make good decisions with our spouse, with our family, with our children. Better to be poor and have the relationship that God wants us to have with our children and with our spouses than it is to be rich and absolutely be terrible and have no relationship and bring trouble to the home, as was described earlier. Really think about those decisions. Better to be poor and have the relationship that is most important than to have the money that nobody's going to care about later on. As we conclude, I want us to think about a couple of things. And first, you and I have a responsibility to the home. 
And I think that's one of the startling points that, that Solomon really wants to get across to his son. Uh, the foolish man is the one who wanders away from the nest. So it's the foolish man who does not make wise decisions for the home. Men, you have a responsibility toward the home to make good, godly, righteous decisions at always. <laughs> and that's hard. <laughs> always. Every time that we possibly can to make the most of the opportunity to make those righteous decisions and not to be a troubler of the home. Uh, we have bad days. We get frustrated. Things do not go well at work. That is not an excuse, though, to bring trouble to the home. It is important <coughs> and necessary for us to leave work at work and come home and treat our wives and our children in a way that God would have us to treat them. And so very important to be mindful of that. Write this one down and keep it for yourself. Your wife's a treasure. Treat her like it. Uh, what a great picture that Solomon gave to his son. Your wife is a treasure. You need to treat her like it. We understand how to treat treasures, how to treat prized possessions. Let us treat our wives that way. And so often we do not. And we think because we have been designated as as the head, that that gives us right to run roughshod over our home. And that is not correct. Treat them as a treasure. You know, I find it interesting, two chapters later, after Peter gives that instruction about dwelling with wives in an understanding way, he tells elders that, that they are in charge, that they are the head of a, of a local church. But then he goes on to great lengths to talk about it's not out of compulsion. You aren't making the congregation do what you say, but you're leading it with example. And I find that's exactly what Peter's trying to say here is, yes, you are the head. Yes, the buck stops with you. But that doesn't mean you've become the dictator of the home. It means you lead through your decisions. You lead through example. You live righteously, godly decisions, day in, day out. And that is how you will bring them to spiritual maturity. So treat your wife as a treasure. Be humble and be honest. It's going to be hard. Uh, especially at work, especially in the circumstances we find ourselves in. Humility is called for us as men, that we have to remain with an attitude that looks like Christ in every decision that we make and every circumstance we find ourselves in, and that we be honest in our dealings with other people. And I think these are important characteristics that Solomon teaches his son. As I said, we could do 31 chapters of it because Solomon does such a good job in telling his son, this is the way you need to live your life. This is what a wise, good, godly man looks like. I need to live up to that standard that God has set for us. We don't want our prayers hindered. We don't want to be out of favor with God. What a tragedy it would be to stand before God on the day of judgment and say, yes, you've been obedient in all these things, that you have loved your neighbor as yourself, that you were worshiping God, you were serving God, you were teaching your neighbors, but you didn't live it at home. That God will hold us accountable for the things that nobody else sees. God will hold us accountable for the decisions we make in the home. And so we need to be mindful of that, that the responsibility that God has placed upon every man is of the greatest importance and will be held accountable. Pull your song books out now. We'll sing a song of invitation to you. And in these last four lessons, we have looked at all of these relational responsibilities that God has given us. That children, how they are to be toward their parents. Parents toward their children. Women and wives 
husbands and men, how they are to act in a proper relationship with God and with other people. He says these things so that we will be able to have the good life now. Not only will we be found pleasing to God on the day of judgment, that our lives will be easier, that we will not be inheriting the whirlwind by making repeated bad decisions. I hope we will see the wisdom of God. That's why I wanted to share with you about the children and corporal punishment at the beginning, is that you see the wisdom of God. If we will listen to the Proverbs that have been given to us, our lives will be easier, that we will have less trouble in the home because we are doing the things that God has asked us to do. We encourage you this morning to submit to the Lord today. He's promised he's going to return and bring a judgment with him. Serve him today. Make a decision this morning that you are going to follow him with all of your heart, that you are going to obey his commands, that regardless of how challenging these commands may be, that you're going to serve him, love him to the very end. If you have not been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, that is the first decision you need to make, to submit to him and have the grace of God applied to you by being washed for the forgiveness of your sins. Won't you come forward and do that while we stand and while we sing?